You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles with you, or if you have the uh, church app, you can feel free to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 through 34 is where we're going to be at uh, this morning. Now, if you guys know me, if you guys have hung around me for any length of time, you know that I really love technology. And so this past week with the Apple keynote where they showed off all their new gadgets and the iPads and the iPhones, I was in hog heaven. I was like, yes, a new phone that my wife will undoubtedly tell me no that I can't have, but that won't stop me from asking her anyway. But I was all excited and I lost track of time. And when I realized that two hours had gone by, I was like, oh boy, they, they just spent two hours talking about their latest inventions and I hope my sermon on Sunday is nowhere near this long. So uh, <laughs> I agree. So, so there's that. And my youth pastor, my former youth pastor, actually texted me and said the same thing. And I'm like, I feel like God's trying to tell me something here. Um, but so we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter six, uh, verses 25 through 34 this morning. And as I was reading these verses, as I was studying this passage, it was kind of cool how it seemed like everything was coming together uh, for this morning that just went along with this theme from uh, the music to the Sunday school lesson to really just everything that was going on in the week. It really seems like God wants this message uh, shared, and so I'm excited to, uh, to share it with you all, and we'll see how it goes. But before we get started, I got to ask you all a question. What are you afraid of? You see, I was thinking this past week of some of the irrational fears I had as a child, and I'm wondering if any of you can relate with some of these. I don't know if any of you were worried about the pool, but I was always afraid there was a shark in the pool, so I was always afraid to get in uh, out of fear that Jaws was going to come up out of there and eat me for whatever reason. Makes no sense. I would look at the pool, and there's no shark in there, but for some reason I still thought there would be a shark in there that would magically appear the moment I get in. Um, so I was always afraid of pools growing up. But, so there is that. What about elevators? Is there anyone here that's afraid of elevators? See, my parents, I love my parents. I don't, I don't want to speak bad of them this morning, but I love my parents, okay? But some of the movies they let me watch growing up are kind of questionable. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise or Speed with Keanu Reeves, who looks like he hasn't aged a day in his life. He always looks super young. But both of those movies had really kind of scary elevator scenes that made me just terrified to go on an elevator for the rest of my life. I would still go on an elevator, but I would be clutching my mom's hand real tightly the entire time and freaking out. And thankfully, I'm not afraid of elevators anymore too much. But... The last one is, and this is, I don't know if, if you've watched Looney Tunes for any length of time, they made quicksand seem like it was going to be a much bigger problem in life than what it actually is. So I was always worried about coming across quicksand for whatever reason. But thankfully, it hasn't happened yet. But those were some of the things I was always afraid of. And it didn't make any sense. When you really think about it, it never made any sense. It was like sharks... It's not going to happen in a pool. That literally makes no sense. Elevators, yeah, they might break down, but not to the degree that you would see on, on a movie like Mission Impossible 
or speed or anything like that. And we will probably never encounter quicksand. And even if we do, it's nothing like the cartoons, which is uh, very reassuring. But we have these fears growing up, right? These very irrational fears that to us are very real. And we're always thinking of the worst possible thing that would happen if we ever came across those situations. And as we get older, the thing is, those fears don't necessarily go away. They just evolve into something else. So now we dread Monday mornings. When our boss tells us, hey, uh, let's meet for a little bit, we're like, oh no, what did I do wrong? It's like, today going to be the day that I get fired? You know, we, we have these fears that, that, that change and grow up with us, and they're still, in, to a degree, irrational. And as they linger around our minds, they produce so much anxiety that winds up clouding us from God. And so we're going to talk about that this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34. Uh, we'll go ahead and read through uh, the verses real quick, and then we'll pray, and then we will dive right in. So starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's go ahead uh, and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that uh, we could come together to study your word. God, I pray that in this time you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to you and that you would speak to us clearly in this time and that we would be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So to give you guys kind of a, a background of where we're at, we're on the Sermon of the Mount. This chapter should be pretty familiar to us, actually, because we spent a good amount of time over the summer uh, in chapter 6, specifically on the Lord's Prayer uh, in our series called Our Father, which, uh, just as a little plug, is available both online and in the app if you want to go back and listen to some of those sermons. Uh, I would highly recommend you do so. It was very powerful. It's a very uh, good, refreshing series to, to check out. So we're in the Sermon of the Mount, and Jesus is, is preaching. He's going over several different uh, sections, several different topics that the people of that time faced, and it's very relatable even to us today. What's interesting about this chapter specifically is how it's structured, how it's laid out. You'll notice that in chapter 6, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but just very briefly, you'll notice that it builds on one, one another in each section, and it dismantles 
uh, the manner in which the Pharisees of this time would, would try to flaunt their self-righteousness. They would try to flex, as some of our students would say. They would try to flaunt the good things that they're doing and try to make themselves look good when in reality is they're not all that great. And so you would see Jesus begin to talk about what it means to give to the needy, not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, not to brag about things like that, how you should... Uh, when you pray, go into your, your closet or go somewhere uh, secluded and pray. When you fast, you don't kind of put a, a sad face on or you don't whine about it uh, to, to make a big deal out of it. Make a big deal out of it. Uh, you don't lay up treasures for yourself uh, here on earth, but you store up treasures in heaven. And then you get into talking about do not be anxious. And this is where all of this buildup kind of leads into a crescendo uh, sort of thing. Um, and what makes it even more difficult but also more relevant is that this is very uh, apparent in our digital culture. You see people do this a lot on social media. I remember a couple of years ago, one of my friends from, uh, from when I worked at, at Apple, he went, and, he went out of his way to buy like a big meal for this homeless person in Fort Worth, and then he made this big long post on Facebook about it. And I'm like, did you do it to actually minister to that guy, or did you do it just to get 200 likes on your post? But we're tempted to do that, right? We want people to know that we're doing something good. We want people to know that we are Christians, and here's how we are doing it. Here's how we're serving God. But, God is, but Jesus is saying here, to do all those things, yes, to serve God, but to do so in secret because your Father knows in secret, not to make a big deal of yourself, but rather make a big deal of God. And so we see this building uh, up into not being anxious, because if we think about it, uh, the root of our anxiety comes from, at least for uh, these people of the day, well, who will see, who will keep track of my good deeds, who will know that I am a Christian, who will know that I helped out this person. But God is saying, he says in there three times, God knows, God sees you in secret, and then what's ironic is in these verses here, he says three times, do not be anxious. Think of uh, we remember that God sees us, God is aware of us, God knows us, we would cease to be anxious because we know God's eyes are on us. But that's the thing is we, we, tend to, we tend to take that burden on ourselves. We tend to shoulder it uh, when that's not our, our, bur- our burden uh, to carry. And so we think that we are our jobs, we are our success, we are our idols, we are our trophies, we are our promotions, we are our grades, whatever it is. And so we become anxious because we take our focus off of God and on ourselves and put it on ourselves. And so this morning we're going to take a look at um, three different ways to get rid of anxiety, three different ways to remove anxiety from our lives. And it starts with this question that, that we should have at the back of our minds uh, is, are we seeking to make much of ourselves or are we seeking to make much of God? Because depending on how you answer that will determine your actions and the things you say and how you go uh, throughout life. So are, you, are we trying to make much of ourselves or are we trying to make much of God? And so the first point for this morning to, to, to take a look to remove anxiety from our lives is this first point here, is to recognize what makes life valuable. Recognize what makes life valuable. You see this in verse 25. 
where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, what do you, what do you think, church? We'll get a little interaction because I'm a youth pastor here and we, we interact on Wednesday nights. Is life, is, is there more to life than just food or clothing or just material things? Yeah. We would all, we would all agree. We would all say yes. So then the, the, the issue is we know this, but we have to take a, a, a more closer look at our lives to see if our actions, if the way we live backs up that affirmation that we say that there is more to life than just, um, just material things. Now, I think if we were to look at our culture, it's pretty obvious we're very consumer-driven. Uh, we would probably even go so far as to say we're materialistic at least in, in America. I mentioned the Apple keynote uh, earlier where they announced their new iPhone 11 uh, and iPhone 11 Pro, which are pretty pricey, but it's pretty normal for a phone these days, or at least a smartphone. But you, you'll notice that when the pre-orders go live, surely they've sold thousands, if not millions of those phones already, including the iPhone 11 Pro, which is over, which starts at $1,000, and then depending on what you want to add on to it or the memory, it'll be even bigger. Now, I don't, I'm going to stop right here and say it's not bad to get a new iPhone, okay? I've been trying for a couple years. My wife still says no, but it's not bad to have a new iPhone, but it's just kind of the intent behind it. A lot of times when I worked at Apple, we would have people come in that bought a new phone literally just a couple months before, and they're coming in to buy the new phone that just got announced, even though the other one is working perfectly fine. And so they're spending another eight hundred to a thousand dollars on a brand new phone. And it's like, did you do we do we really did you really need that? The other one was working fine, right? But but we do that because for some of us, we think that life, the only thing in life, is our material items. For some of us, for especially uh, those that are really into tech, we face this temptation to have the newest, latest, best, because we want to be in the conversation when it's going on. We want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be the popular one, so to speak, among our circle of friends that has the newest tech. But there's the problem, is oftentimes we go to any great length to be that to where we spend an insane amount of money to maintain that image. And you see this a lot on Instagram. There's people on Instagram called influencers. And what they do is they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars buying things that they may use for one or two pictures and then never use again, racking up millions of dollars of debt just to maintain this presence that they have online. And so they're, they're swimming in debt. And even in our culture today, I looked this up, uh, in Texas specifically, the, the average amount of credit card debt that someone has is uh, $7,692 uh, as per a business insider poll from last year. And so the thing is, the thing that we have to be aware of is that we tend to get it confused as to what really brings value to life. It's not having the latest technology. It's not even maybe being the, the CEO of a company. None of those things necessarily give life value because if you were to remove those, then what, what left is there for value? True value, the only thing that really gives life value is what God says about us, that we are created in his image. We have his unique handprint 
on our DNA, on our bodies. That's why we celebrate uh, new children. That's why we celebrate children in the room, but our in the in the womb. But our culture gets it confused because our culture, if I'm being blunt and honest, doesn't know what life actually is and what it means to have value. That's why they're okay with abortion. But God's Word says that we have value regardless of our status, regardless of our possessions, regardless of where we're at in the country. We have a a high level of value because God has made us, and God even went so far to redeem us, to save us, because of what Christ did on the cross. There's a tremendous amount of value that comes with that when we think about that, but we get it confused. Now, I'm sure the parents in the room can relate with this one. When you go to Walmart or Target and you have your kids with you and you, you try to avoid the toy aisle as best you can, you even try to go roundabout ways to avoid it, but, for, but somehow your, your kid still sees that flashy toy or whatever it is, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I need to have it, and they're freaking out, and they're trying to beg you to get it and things like that. I remember, I actually looked this up because I was curious if I was just dreaming this or remembering it, but no, uh, it's a real thing. That was a toy that I remember seeing in uh, Target years ago when I was a kid, and I was really into Transformers. And so I remember seeing this toy, freaking out, and be like, Mom, I have to have this toy. Like, I need it. If I don't have it, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. I need this toy. Please, let's get it. Don't forget, never mind the fact that it's probably like $70, just, let's just buy it. And my mom would, be, would just be firm and loving and say No. But I would continue to push and push and push and try to wear her down until she eventually said yes. And after I exhausted all of my reasons, all my evidence, all my arguments, I I pulled out the big one and said, Mom, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die if I don't get this toy. Surely my mom will buy me the toy at this point because she loves me. She doesn't want me to die, so she'll buy me the toy. And she just kind of looked at me and grinned, and she was like, okay, we'll see. And I'm like, I'm going to die and you don't care? And she's like, we'll see. We'll see. But it's funny because that's kind of how we are with God sometimes. We tell God, I need this or that or X, Y, and Z, and if I don't get it, I'm probably going to die or I'm going to, to lose my influence or I'm going to be not as popular or something like that. And God's just like, nah, you, you don't really need it. You don't really need it. That's not going to bring any more value to your life because you'll, you'll forget it soon enough. And so, the, again, the, the, the important thing to remember is what really gives life value. Because for our culture, life is only as valuable as the, as the trophies they obtain, the likes they receive on Instagram, how high their score is on Snapchat, or how envious uh, their neighbors can be of their new vehicle or new landscaping job or whatever it is. But this brings life down to such a shallow level that there's no worth to it. And this is what our culture does. This is how our culture views things, and we're not to be like them. As we'll see in the next couple of verses, we're not to chase after the things that our culture chases after. And so that leads into the second point of how to, of one of the ways that we can remove anxiety. We have recognize what, what gives value, what brings value to life. And the second thing is recognize who actually provides, which is what we see in verses 26 through 32. And I'll read it again, and we'll kind of break it down. Verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But again, going back to kind of how we're pretty consumer-driven here in in America, and that tends to build in us this this spirit of independence. We we tend to rely on ourselves, and and that's okay. I mean, we, we, we can do that. But there's a temptation there to lean too far to where we rely on ourselves so much that we ask, why do I need God? And that's a dangerous spot to be in. Because we, we can look at our, we can look at the nature, we can, and Jesus brings us up, that we can look at nature to get some ideas of how God provides for even the birds the flowers, provides for everything. And sometimes he uses us in his divine will to, to help provide for those animals. Farmers know that best. But if you have a bird feeder, then yeah, you, you participate in God's divine will to help feed birds. We all can participate in that to a degree, but we can never forget the fact of who it is that's actually providing this stuff because without God, we wouldn't exist. There would be no provision. There would be no uh, providence. There would be none of that. And so nothing exists outside of God's will, and in that same way, nothing is provided for outside of that will. God provides for us, and if he provides so much for even just the birds, and if we've already established that we are more valuable, then how much more is he going to provide for us? I would say uh, quite a bit. But again, we get into this mindset, especially as we get older, and, I, and I've seen this uh, even in my own life, is that you know, we, we tend to put all the burden on ourselves, right? We tend to think that we have to have all the answers. We need to have uh, everything uh, perfect in our lives, everything going smoothly. We need to have just all these different things that so we tack on all these, these extra bits of anxiety that weigh us down and try to wind up making us so self-reliant on ourselves that we ignore God and we stop even going to Him because we've forgotten who it is that actually provides for us. And so if you're here this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you in on a secret. I'm only 30 years old, so I haven't been an adult too terribly long. Um, but a little bit, I, this is one thing I have learned, and this is something that my parents have been trying to tell me uh, all throughout high school and college. And and I don't know who needs to hear this, but I felt that this is something I need to share. Um, This is something that you probably won't hear, so we can consider this a a little bit of a secret, but I'm going to let everybody know about it. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers, and this is the hardest one. You cannot do everything. A lot of times we we think that we do have to have all the answers. We do have to have it all together. We do have to be able to do everything, and what winds up happening is we wind up taking on God's role in trying to do it all ourselves. Yet what often happens is we wind up making 
a, a mess even messier, or we tend to create more problems, and it just makes it more of an issue for ourselves. Because we tend to think that we have to be perfect. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that God commands us to be perfect. We're just commanded to be obedient. We're not commanded to be perfect. We're just commanded to be obedient. And so never try to be perfect. Because that's a terrible burden to bear. And there's only one person in the history of the universe that was able to do it. And he died for your sins so that you don't have to be perfect. You could put your faith in him and be restored and live a life free from anxiety, free from doubt, because God takes care of nature, and if we are more valuable than that, then how much more will he take care of us? So there's two things. We have to remember what gives value to life, what makes life valuable. We have to remember who is actually providing for us, who is the one that is sustaining us. And the last one is maintain proper priorities. And this is in verses uh, 31, or sorry, 33 through 34, where it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is where I kind of got goosebumps because this is literally the same exact lesson we had in Sunday school. And I'm like, God's wanting to do something. He's trying to tell us something. But I have this quote from Jonathan Edwards that says, The seeking of the kingdom of God is the main business of the Christian. The seeking of the kingdom of God is the main business of the Christian. Not trying to attain all this wealth, not trying to possess all these different material items, not trying to climb the corporate ladder, not trying to have the biggest social circle. The seeking of the kingdom of God is the main business of the Christian. And when you come to this verse here, uh, as I was studying it, the late R.C. Sprawl uh, notes that the Greek word here for first is protos. That's a cool-sounding word, but what does it mean? Well, it definitely means first, but not in the chronological sense. It's speaking first in a priority sense. What are we seeking on a daily basis? Is the kingdom of God our top priority? Is the kingdom of God our top priority? And this is where we can take a look at our own lives and, and see if it is or not. Or we can see if it's even anywhere on the list of priorities. And this is a good way to kind of figure out if it is. What's your default? What's your default go-to action when something unknown or unexpected happens? I asked our students this uh, this morning, and one of them said, I just cry. I'm like, I can relate. There's usually ice cream involved just to help make it feel better. But what's our default action? Do we go to God, or do we go to haagen Or I guess Bluebell, sorry, Texas. We do Bluebell. But what is our default? Do we go to God first? Do we seek him first in all things? Do we, do we seek him first in all things, or do we seek ourselves first in all things? You know, and this, isn't, this is not an easy thing to hear. 
to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. Because we often read that, that second part, then these things will be added to you, and we're like, are you sure? God, are you sure you're actually going to, to provide for me? Maybe I'll, I'll go take care of this myself. No, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. He said, he said that all through this chapter. God knows you. God has seen your works. God has seen you serve him. So he knows what you need. And, and as we seek him, he tends to provide in ways that we don't expect. And this is a hard thing to hear. This is something that the um, men of faith in my life growing up through high school and college tried to tell me all the time. And I was like, no, that's stupid. I need to like, get out there and do it myself. You know, when I was uh, in high school, about to graduate and going to college, I was obsessed with finding the one, you know, trying to find the right girl and all that jazz. But all the men in my faith were telling me, like, dude, just don't worry about it. Do what God has called you to do here, and it will happen naturally. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Even though these men have been married for over 20 years, and they, have, they know a thing or two about being a Christian, and they know exactly what they're talking about. But me and my young arrogance, like the, like the fool in Proverbs 1-7, you know, I despised wisdom and instruction. I was like, no. I was an idiot back then. Still kind of am today, but that's not the point. It came to a point where I realized that me just worrying about this all the time was a complete and total waste of my energy and time. So instead of putting all that time and energy into something wasted, I was going to put it into what my mentors told me to do. I served in my church, followed God, and then as I uh, moved to Texas, came to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, met a girl named Camilla Bridges. I almost called her Camilla Sharp. We weren't married just yet. Um, But met her there, and, and, and the rest is history. None of that worked out in my timing, and that's good because I wouldn't have been able to really appreciate or grasp what it was that God was doing in my life until that moment when God brought Camilla into my life. And, and I can look back through so many different times in my life where God provided for me, whether it was financially because uh, I was in seminary and, and, and broke and just trying to you know, do do what I could to make ends meet, or, or whatever else, God always provided. And a good thing that, that we should do to remember what it is that God has done in our lives is to journal it and make little reminders. If you're crafty, make something that will remind you about the time that God provided for you, just like the nation of Israel did after they uh, uh, were rescued out of Egypt. They put uh, rock towers up so that their children would ask, what is that all about? And they would say, well, let me tell you about what God has done for us and what he will continue to do for you so long as you seek him. But it all goes back to trust, right? Because throughout all that time, when I was worrying about the one, it's almost like I could hear God audibly ask, when are you going to trust me? Have I not shown you time and time again that I have been there for you? I care about you more than the birds of the field, birds of the air, lilies of the field. How much more do you think I will provide for you? When are you going to trust me? And perhaps you're here this morning and God's asking you that same question. When are you going to trust me? 
See, maybe we've neglected God and piled on all this burden to where we're just a massive ball of anxiety. If, if that's you this morning, I'm going to challenge you to, uh, here in a moment, to come to the altar and just leave those burdens at Jesus' feet. But actually leave them there. Don't just take a, a little piece of it and lay it there. I'm like, okay, I'm good. No, leave the whole thing there. Think about these verses. Go back, go back over them again and again in your head. And maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. But you need to. I think you know best that trying to do things on your own for so long hasn't really been the best and it hasn't really given you the best results either. But in Christ, your problems won't go away, but you will be able to go through those fires a whole lot better than just doing it by yourself. And so maybe that's you. Maybe, 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 um, Maybe God has provided for you recently. Maybe you, you've had a burden that you've been carrying around for so long and you gave it to Jesus and he removed it and you're out of that situation, you're out of that season, and you can just breathe. And this is just a time to praise him for that, to thank him for that, to shout for joy if you want to. If you want to dance a little bit, go for it, you know. I know we're Baptists, so maybe just, as long as you keep both feet on the ground, I think you're okay. Um, but just maybe you just need to, to worship him and thank him for, for what he's done and how he's continued to provide for you again and again. But guys, this is a time for you to, to do business with God. And I pray that you don't miss it. I pray that you don't let these next few minutes slip by without getting with God and doing some kind of business with him, whether that's laying a burden down at his feet or praising him and thanking him for what he's doing or just coming to him for the very first time and laying your burdens uh, with him and putting your faith in him. But whatever way God is leading you this morning, I pray that you would do so, that you would listen, so that you would find your anxiety melting away in the glory of God would fill that void. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.